Hello and welcome to the Cut and the Dry here on the Life Given Radio. Today we're going to be discussing modern day Pharisees. I'm your host, Kip Mock, and I'm here with your co-host, Isaac Lopez. How's it going, Isaac? Pretty good. Pretty good, Kip. Awesome. Awesome. You know, so before we get into social justice warriors and Pharisees, um, and we are, we're kind of tagging SJWs as modern day Pharisees, um, and that's a bit of a generalization, um, mm-hmm. and we're actually going to be zeroing in on a few uh, Christian leaders and a couple things that they've said in recent times that um, are, are leaning towards wokedom hmm. and and we believe are adding to scripture. And so we're going to be discussing that. But our first segment for this today's show is indubitable. Um, and we're going to be discussing the word freedom. Hmm. Um, so, so the modern take. The modern take on freedom is essentially my ability to do whatever I think I want right. without judgment or consequences. If, if I do run into judgment mm-hmm. or into consequences, the fault is not mine, but on the individual infringing on my freedoms. Right. So what, what does freedom mean to you, Isaac? Well, I mean, uh, it, it's very, um, the way that I would define freedom. And I mean, this is a, a lot of my faith showing through on that, right. but, um, uh, it, it can be a bit oxymoronic just because, the way that I define freedom is the way that Christ um, laid down his life for all of us, mm-hmm. right? And that's something we'll get to later in the show. But yeah. um, the the freedom we find in Christ should be that of self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that, that definitely it goes against the modern sensibilities. Right. So I think I actually have somewhat of a different take. And it, it might sound like I'm contradicting you or disagreeing with you, but I think we're going to get to the same conclusion. Okay. Um, because... You are right. I just would describe it differently. So okay. I think this will be a fun little discussion. Um, I, I first want to talk briefly about the Spartan view of freedom because mm-hmm. um, studying the Spartans and the Athens is is really interesting seeing how the two ideologies of those societies um, developed and shaped how they acted and what they believed uh, shaped how they acted. Um, and, and the Spartans particularly I find interesting because their understanding of freedom was the ability to serve the state. Right. They're, they understood freedom as the ability to serve. Okay. And, and in contrast with modern times, that's pretty radical, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't, you don't think of freedom as the ability to do what somebody else wants. Certainly. Right. Yeah. But as Christians, we do. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think the Spartans were kind of onto something. And obviously they picked the wrong God. Right, right. But just, um, just a little bit. Yeah. At least they were honest about it. And that's that's what I'm trying to get at, is the Spartans were honest about who they served. So you, are you saying that I wasn't being honest with my definition? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm throwing shade at modern understanding of freedom. Not throwing shade at you, Isaac, sorry. <laughs> um, so the Spartans... They were honest. They were saying, we serve the state, and that is our freedom. Okay. Um, in modern times, they uh, modern uh, individuals like to think that their freedom is to do what they want. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, that's not the case. Ultimately, the Spartans were wrong, and right. the moderns were wrong. Right. But at least the Spartans thought they were serving somebody. Okay. The point that I'm trying to get at is that you can never escape from being a slave to something. Right, you're either you're either a slave to sin, you're okay. a slave to the devil, or you're a slave of Christ. I see. There's there there are, there's no other option. Right, right. And I want to highlight 
something I mentioned in the modern take of freedom, which is uh, I, I describe freedom in the modern sense as my ability to do whatever I think I want. Mm. And, and I think that's an important distinction because uh, you, you see this throughout modern society. There's this constant desire to find yourself, find your true passion, your true desire, mm. and trying to figure out what will satisfy you, fill this hole in your chest, right. make, you, make you whole. And it, it never happens, right? Mm. Right. If, if you don't find Christ, you never fill that hole. You never, right. you never are satisfied. Mm. You, always, you always think you're missing something. You need to make more money. You need to have a hotter girlfriend. You mm. need to, whatever it is, you think that you're missing something material. Right. that you can get. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And 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 the problem is that we don't understand what we actually want. What we actually mm. want as human beings is to serve our God and reflect his image. That's mm. what we were created to do and therefore it is what we actually want. We just are stubborn and don't like to admit it. Right. You know? Do you have yeah. anything to add to that? No, I think that's really good. And I think that you um definitely rerouted my definition, which was a good save. I appreciate that. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 well, I, your definition was good and it's true. I right. just, I like to, I just wanted to take it from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this is your show after all. No, <laughs> um, yeah, shut up, I, I, I do, I do really appreciate the way that, um, the, the way that you phrase it. And this is just, um, something, some of our listeners might be able to relate, but ordering your loves, right? I mean, being able to mm-hmm. figure out, okay, um, what's my baseline? Is my baseline myself or is it based off of the foundation of God's word and his will for us? Like mm-hmm. there, there is a trade-off. We're no longer serving our will, but his. So everything I'm saying is just right. Just a rewording of what you said, but I think that was really well put. Yeah. yeah. And the, the best part is that you'll find that your will, as, as you become sanctified, after you're mm-hmm. justified and as you begin the process of sanctification, you'll find that your will will slowly align with God's will. Right. You can think of them as these two um, lines. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the goal of sanctification is for the the line of your will and the line of God's will to be perfectly parallel. Right. That'll never be complete in this life. Mm-hmm. They're always going to be off somehow. Right. Right. And the line of God's will is not off. Our, right. our will is going to be off in some respect. Right. And the goal of our sanctification is to align those two, those two wills mm. to each other perfectly. Mm. And you'll find that as those two things happen, you're actually achieving true freedom. Right. It sounds, it sounds crazy. And, and if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, you, you probably just think we're absolutely insane. Mm. But the truth of the matter is if you, if you really delve down and think about it, mm. True freedom can only be achieved in Christ. Right. We, it can only be achieved in our Creator because if we're trying to base our freedoms in our own desires, mm-hmm. there is no foundation there because yeah. we're just a creature. Yeah. We are a creature made in God's image, and therefore mm-hmm. we need to base our freedom on that foundation and what He wants for right. us and what we ought to do. Yeah. So, and, and just to kind of jump in there with a, an, an analogy, I don't know if this will work, and if it doesn't, we'll cut it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, I worked on this uh, vineyard this my senior year of high school year, years back. But um, when we would go out to trim the vines, you know, when uh, we had already harvested and we were cutting them back and trimming them back, we were trying to trim them back and tame them into the rows of which they were uh, 
put to grow on, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'd have, like, your your fence that you yeah. put the vines to allow them to grow on and have the wires as mm. their guidelines, yeah. right? And uh, as Christians, that's that's God's word, right? That's, yeah. that, that fence, that wire, we're trying to grow around it. Mm. And it can be beautiful at times, right? It yeah. can look gorgeous. But then in the dead of winter, these... The vines keep growing, but they're old and cracked, and they're bending away and turning away from the mm-hmm. the wire on which they're supposed to be holding, so they're stronger and they're producing better fruit, yeah. or in this case, grapes. So um, I, I think that that really that analogy jumped into my mind when you're explaining that, and I thought that that um, was just yeah. Keep, I, go I for think it. your analogy is great, and and it ties in with scripture really well. Mm-hmm. Christ is right. the vine; we are the branches. Amen. If we're not grafted into that vine. We're just a dead branch lying yeah. out in the ditch. Yeah. And, and and we're not going to bear any fruit. Mm-hmm. We have to be grafted into that vine in order to blossom, in order right. to bear fruit, in order to be free. Preach it, brother. So, That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, that was a fun segment. Yeah, I've been that looking was. forward to talking about the word freedom. And, you know, we might expand on it in a future episode because there's so much to it. But we want to mm-hmm. move it on to our four cents. Um, and, and the... Verse wait, wait, Kip, why do we call it four cents? I don't I don't understand. I thought two plus two is like that equals three, right? No, it equals five. But equals we're calling five. it four. Okay, we're gonna we're just gonna split the we're split, split the b- goalposts. Yeah. Okay, right. all right. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple verses we're gonna be I'm gonna read a couple verses um, from Proverbs thirty. Proverbs thirty five and six, um, again from the English Standard Version. Quote Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar, unquote. So there are a couple points I want to draw from this this passage. One, the Bible is consistent with accurate reasoning. Not only is the Bible true, it is able to be proven. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see that in just the very first section of uh, chapter 30, verse 5. Um, and second, the Bible is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Any addition to the words of God that claim moral or spiritual authority are by definition a lie. Mm-hmm. So with those two things in mind, I want to talk about Pharisees. Okay. Pharisees are the classic example in my mind of adding to scripture. Okay. And, and of course we see this all throughout the new Testament. Mm-hmm. They're uh, supplanting the tradition and traditions of men for the word of God. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're adding to the word of God right. and making it a moral authority, making their traditions a moral authority. Right. Um, and and they, they essentially they tied up heavy burdens to put on other people's shoulders that they themselves were not willing to bear. Mm-hmm. You see that in Matthew 23, verse 4. Um, in contrast, Christ took on the ultimate burden of all of our sins mm-hmm. and tells us that the burden we are called to bear is easy and light in Matthew mm-hmm. 11, verse 28. So... Let's let's talk about some additions to the Bible. All right, <laughs> from modern times. Who are the modern Pharisees? Uh, we're gonna be. Do you want a list? Because I've got a list. You got a list. I can... <laughs> <laughs> Am I on it? <laughs> no, no. <kidding. laughs> uh, so, so we're gonna be we're gonna be reading some quotes from mm-hmm. uh, a few Christian leaders, and um, we're gonna be going pretty hard after what these gentlemen say. Um, and, and I want to, I want to mention before we do that, that, uh, some of these guys, uh, one of these guys in particular, I have a lot of respect for and have learned so, so much from, and even, even there's one guy we're going to read a couple quotes from, uh, and, and I have learned a lot from him as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so we, we want to honestly, to the best of our ability, evaluate the things these men have said from scripture. Right. Um, but we also don't want to come across as disrespectful towards mm-hmm. these men. So let's, let's talk about the first, first quote. Um, so to put it in context, the great commission commands us to make disciples of the nations. And ultimately this is what we as humans exist for. But what does that mean? Does it mean pure and simple evangelism? If so, is every Christian who's not a full-time evangelist mm-hmm. living in sin? Mm. I would say not, and and we'll get to that later on. But I want to read a quote from uh, Timothy Keller, our first special guest for this episode, <laughs> um, and and I'll unravel, I'll unravel my thoughts from there. So Timothy Keller uh, tweeted out, "Quote: Since cities breed spiritual seek- seeking, when Christians abandon cities, they lose many seekers as well." Unquote. Mm. So. He, he did a, a whole thread on Twitter about this, and he uses the story of Jonah mm-hmm. to justify this statement. And I'll read the two verses that he quoted on Twitter. Okay. Uh, Jonah 4, 10, and 11, quote, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the, that great mm-hmm. city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle, unquote. So Timothy Keller, in, in using this passage from Jonah, is, is equivocating a family leaving a terrible place mm. uh, with a man specifically called to a city to minister to that city. Right. Um, and, and he was grumpy about it. <laughs> That I don't think right. that's a legitimate equivocation okay. to make, and I'm gonna I'm gonna back okay. that up by reading a chunk of uh, Genesis 19, um, starting in verse one. Uh, so Genesis 19 says, "Quote: The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, "My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet." Then you may rise up and early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. 
But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels turned, urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him, them out, one said, Escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley, escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Unquote. So that was, that was a big chunk, and I wanted to read all of this context, because mm -hmm. this is a really harsh passage. Oh, for sure. And I think it's a passage that a lot of people just kind of gloss over, mm -hmm. but, um, and before I get into this, I want to note that it's, I think it's important to note that angels are likely not appearing to Christians in New York City <sighs> and telling them to get out before it's destroyed. I, I assume that's not happening. I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But there is a principle that I want to draw from this passage, okay. and and I think it's pretty, pretty blatant, mm -hmm. um, because you see in the beginning of this passage, it's it really is horrifying how mm. Lot is so pitifully unable to protect his family. Right. I mean, this this kind of is what you'd imagine from a scene from a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. um, these crazed, horny men surrounding a house, uh, demanding that Lot let his guests out so they can rape them. Yeah. And and Lot says no. They're under, under the protection of my roof. You can rape mm -hmm. my daughters instead. Right. You can rape my virgin daughters who are who are engaged. Mm -hmm. And this is such a it's it's a glaring example uh, in mm -hmm. in really the clearest terms of a man who did not protect his family. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why he was so set on staying in Sodom. Why yeah. he fought so hard against leaving, but especially after a night like this, you'd think right. he'd be ready to get up and go mm -hmm. after this happened to you, but he wasn't. Um, bottom line, Lot didn't protect his family. And, and taking this into modern times, cities overrun with degenerates make it more difficult for a Christian man to do this effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and if a man thinks he ought to move his family out of New York for this reason, I think he has solid biblical backing for doing so. Right. Do you... Do you have anything to add to that? Do you agree? Um, yeah, I, I certainly agree with the overall principle that I think you're pushing there. And I think we see more and more of a need for people to up and leave a place. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think there are more and more reasons. Because obviously you don't want to be an escapist. You don't want to err to the side of just because life gets hard for your, you know, for you personally, mm -hmm. I'm just going to jump ship. Um, right. But there are precedents set in scripture where mm -hmm. men such as Lot, just need to get the heck out of there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I realize that this is a really drastic example. Oh, oh I, but I understand it, that. It's not that drastic compared to everything happening right now. It, I mean, you know, like, true. we're, we're not a far cry from homosexual men banging on your door wanting to rape the men of the house. And, I mean, uh, I'm sure, you know, we're, we're still a far cry from places, but, I mean, we're seeing riots where police officers are just watching. You know, I was watching footage of the riots happening in Philadelphia mm. over this weekend. And, you know, there are reporters saying, literally, there's a guy pushing a shopping cart full of stolen items right by a cop, and he just stood and watched. And, I mean, like, it, that's that's paltry compared to this. Like, right. it, it, it pales in comparison, but... Uh, there, there are things happening in this country that is establishing once again precedent 
for things to happen in the future, and no one's going to say no. Exactly. Um, so I, I, you know, you obviously have to weigh in each situation because um, Tim Keller's in New York, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's a lot of evil in that city. Yeah. I also know that uh, I know plenty of godly people actually there that. Mm-hmm. I, I think are trying to do the Lord's work, but it's getting difficult, you know, increasingly yeah. difficult. So and anyway, this we is are a tangent, told to but yeah. shake the dust off of our feet. Right. In right. certain situations mm-hmm. that this is a, this is not something that you were just pulling out of thin air. This right. is a solid biblical principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to add to that. I think that there's solid biblical backing for a man doing so a man, right. a man leaving a city, for a multitude of other reasons, namely for the spiritual health of his wife and children. Mm-hmm. Bad bad company corrupts good morals, and men have to take responsibility for their family before they start to take responsibility for those in the city around them. Right. And and first Timothy three, one through seven tells us, um, actually starting in verse two, sorry. Uh, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Um, and here's where it gets really poignant. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, mm-hmm. how will he care for God's church? Right. Unquote. So, Men have to be responsible for their own family before they take on any responsibility in the church, let alone for New York City. Mm-hmm. You want to expound on that, Isaac? Um, I mean, like, I, I think I already spoke enough. Um, but okay. <laughs> No, but I think I would just make the uh, a point that I think has been driven into my head in the year of 2020 is that um, we're starting to see this shuffle. Well, there's this expectation that uh, people should put their loyalties you know, society first, mm. then you have um, maybe the place you work at, and then maybe family, if you have the time, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, it. we're starting to see a reordering of um, people wanting to homeschool more because they're spending time with their kids and they realize, oh, my priority should be my kids and not mm. sending them to these terrible public schools, right? right. And so they're, they're having to reevaluate, and I think that there's a that there could be good from this shuffle up with the COVID and all the riots and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there, there definitely, we need to be reorienting, uh, our, our loves once again to family first and then everything else after that, obviously got at the head. Right. So got at the head family. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think that was really well put. Um, so it's going to sound like we're really going after Timothy Keller because we're, we're going to read another quote from him. And this one is, um, in, in my mind, drastically worse than um, the, the last quote. Um, Timothy Keller said, uh, and this was in a speech, I believe, at a university, um, if I remember correctly. He said, quote, if you have white skin, it's worth over one, or sorry, if you have white skin, it's worth $1 million over a lifetime. You have to say, I don't deserve this. I am the product of and standing on the shoulders of other people who got that through injustice. The Bible says you were involved in injustice, even if you didn't actually do it, unquote. So he says that the Bible says you're involved in justice, even if you didn't actually do it. But it's important to note that he didn't even try to reference 
a passage. <laughs> right. To, I was wondering where, like, I, he's reading a different version than I am. And yeah. I don't know if the message includes that. Because like, <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that. In right. fact, it says the exact opposite. Um, and and I want to I want to talk about something else as well. But um, the Bible tells us the exact opposite of uh, of Timothy Keller's hmm. claim here. In 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 fact, the Bible very clearly teaches generational curses, mm. um, but not generational guilt. Right. Um, we do not need the additional responsibility of other people's sins to damn us. Certainly. Um, we sin enough on our on our own. Mm-hmm. So the passage here is Deuteronomy thirty four six through seven, um, which says, "Quote: Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers." Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So the bottom line is, apart from Christ, we're all damned. Amen. We don't need our ancestors' sins piled on top. Yeah. We, don't, we don't need that in order for our guilt to be sufficient for us to be damned mm. to hell. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's important to note that because it's, it, it's totally contrary to mm-hmm. Timothy Keller's understanding of generational guilt, right. Right. Which, which certainly does not exist in Scripture. Um, but the other thing I want to note is that all of us should constantly remember that we don't deserve anything that we have. Mm. It's not a white exclusive requirement to uh, be grateful to God for everything right. that we've been given. Right. So, Isaac, you, you called this this radio and this news organization the life given for a reason, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Right, and that, that's something that's formed over time, but it was based off of the Bible verse, 1 John 3.16, mm-hmm. which says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this kind of refers back to my uh, definition about freedom, right? right? Um, but really... Uh, the organization was started because I recognized, you know, this life I have, which is an awesome life. Like, mm-hmm. I love it, right? Yeah. And the fact that uh, I, I can now rejoice because I'm going to be an inter- with spending <laughs> spending eternity with our Lord makes me even more excited, right? right. Um, and realizing <laughs> uh, that we, that this life truly isn't our own. So basically everything we enjoy has been given to us by God. And that includes everything. So the reason I started this podcast channel and then also the Life Given News was just to encourage Christians to uh, get involved in current events and all of that. Mm -hmm. But primarily it was built off of just the simple principle that your life is not your own, so spend it well in whatever you're doing. And I saw a shortcoming in Christians not spending time in current events, not taking responsibility over that and not taking responsibility of what's happening in politics. And I just thought it was, um, it didn't make sense to me. So I was like, let's make it easier and try to come up with news articles and podcasts uh, that may not take an hour and a half to listen to, right? Yeah. Make it a little bit more salient and try to keep it shorter and to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's grown in, uh, into something bigger and better than I could have imagined. You know, the fact that there's another podcast, the one that you started, makes it even more exciting. Um, but yeah, the simple principle is that your life is not your own go lay it down for someone else. Mm-hmm. And current events is no exception to it. Yeah. Amen. And and the bottom line is that everybody mm-hmm. has that responsibility. Right. Everybody right. needs to be grateful mm-hmm. for the life they have been given. Right. And and the the ultimate conclusion there is that critical race theory is just an excuse for ingratitude. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just an excuse for for 
certain people to be ungrateful mm. for for the position that they're in. Right. And and nobody has that excuse. Mm. So as Christians, we ought to reject critical race theory. Right. We ought to reject all kinds of racism, mm-hmm. but also Obviously. reject critical yeah. race theory. Yeah. It's it's idiocy. And that's yeah. the bottom line. Well, thanks for tying my point back in there. I oh, appreciate yeah. it. Like, <laughs> I got, like, there, you know, if we were going back to our vine analogy, like Kip has set up the post. He's set up like my grapevine to just go and like grow and look <laughs> uh, wonderful. And then uh, it just kind of like gets stunted and it's just, you know, I'm like going off the post. So, yeah. It might be blasphemy there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be the post talked about in scripture. Like, okay. <laughs> it can be a different one. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so the last quote is this the last quote yes this, right, we're getting there we're getting there yeah, um we're, we're making good time we're fine yeah. it's not even half an hour yet all right these people have time on their hands they're listening to us you gotta <laughs> give them what they want right i mean if they're tuning in we we're, we've got the content here let's keep keep producing awesome <laughs> um so this this last quote is from john piper and mm. there's been a lot of uh backlash against john piper's recent article in which he de- described why he's not voting for Trump or Biden. Okay. Um, so he didn't actually explicitly say that in the article, but he, right. I believe he later clarified through Twitter that okay. this article was was um, explaining why I'm not voting for either of the main candidates. Right. Um, there's there's one quote, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I I have a massive amount of respect for John Piper, mm-hmm. and also there are so many other Christian leaders who have responded to mm-hmm. this article and given better better input than I think we are capable of. Yeah, and so I, I want to highlight one thing that I haven't seen many other people okay. highlighting. Okay. Um, but l- let me read the quote. Um, and John Piper says, uh, quote, therefore Christians communicate a falsehood to unbelievers who are also baffled when we act as if policies and laws that protect life and freedom are more precious than being a certain kind of person. The church is paying dearly and will continue to pay f- for are communicating this falsehood year after year, mm. unquote. So what I want to highlight from this, and, and I want to avoid um, avoid what I think John Piper really did wrong right. in this article, which um, essentially uh, throughout the article, he was blaming uh, sins of our country mm. collectively um, as copycat sins of President Trump. Mm. So... I don't want to blame John Piper for pro-life evangelicals for Biden because it's not his fault. But I think it's important to note that pro-life evangelicals for Biden have huge grounds to use this quote to justify their position. Okay. Because uh, this portion right here where he says, when we act as if policies and laws that protect life and freedom are more precious than being a certain kind of person, uh, and he says that's, that's a falsehood. Um, and, and I think that I do think that he's wrong here. Uh, but like I said, we're not going to get too far into this, mm-hmm. but pro-life evangelicals for Biden are, are using the kind of more mild mannered, mm-hmm. more, uh, in scare quotes, respectable demeanor right. Right. of Joe Biden as, as their justification for voting for him mm-hmm. rather than a candidate who is solidly pro-life and who has taken really excellent steps towards, mm-hmm. Um, towards the pro-life movement. And, and I think that it's, it's very easy to use this quote and use this article as justification for that wrong-headed behavior. Mm. Um, 
And again, I don't want to communicate that that wrong-headed behavior is John Piper's fault because right. he's he's communicating he's not voting for either of the main candidates. Right, right. And and I think he's uh, he's an incredible man who mm -hmm. knows his Bible very very well. I think he's wrong in this respect, but um, yeah, I don't want to communicate that mm. he's he's pro Biden. That's okay. not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that um, I, I think that that snippet really does kind of lean towards justifying that position, if that makes sense. Certainly. Yeah. 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 Um, so with all of that in mind, I want to I want to tie up our four cents by highlighting a few aspects okay. of of the social justice warrior yeah. and the modern Pharisee. And uh, it might sound like I'm these I'm trying to make these standards apply to these gentlemen. Um, but I wanted to talk about these quotes because these are these are gentlemen that I, I have respect for, and I, I think it's important that we always think through everything mm. that is said through the lens of scripture. Certainly. And, and when it appears that um, leaders are adding requirements to scripture that do not exist, I think it's important to think through those. Um, but I wanted to bring it back to the whole idea of the, the social justice warrior um, in saying that there are, there are three main things that make these people okay. stand out. Um, and that is holding others to a standard they will not abide by. That's number one. The second is voracious judgmentalism. Mm -hmm. Ironically, all while condemning judgmentalism. <laughs> um, right. and, and finally, and this, this I would say is the one trait that does apply to at least Timothy Keller. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is the invention of sin. Mm. You can't be a social justice warrior unless you, unless you invent new sins. Right. And the main new sin that social justice warriors in the 21st century have invented is intolerance. Mm. But Timothy Keller has invented the sin of generational guilt. And he's also invented the sin of leaving cities. Right. And, and so... Uh, those are three things to keep in mind. And mm -hmm. if you see any of those things in uh, Christian leaders, I think it's a good good moment to take a quick breather and look to scripture and, and try to figure out if they're right or Definitely. if they're if they're out of line. So yeah. do you have anything to add to that, Isaac? Um, no, I, I think it's good, though, to, I mean, because it, it's uh, a great, it's an easy thing in conservative talk radio to mm -hmm. uh, just like just bag on SJWs. Like, you know, there, there's yeah. uh, Blaze Radio or sorry, the Daily Wire and you've got your bottle of um, SJW tears that they'll sell you or right, whatever right, yeah. um, and all of that. Like it's really easy to pick on it, but you've got to be able to take it back to scripture and mm -hmm. like, okay, why do we disagree with how these people act mm -hmm. and what motivates and drives them, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, scripture is chock full of things that can help us understand our day. Yeah, and I, I think that this parallelism we see with the SJWs and Pharisees is really poignant. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, realizing that SJWs have a religion that they're right. pushing, um, and it's not just oh they don't believe in our God, like they they're pushing yeah. their own gods, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're peddling their own crap. So yeah, um, I think that's really good. Yeah, and and the bottom line of this segment is wokedom is everywhere mm. and it might kind of sound like we kind of just went into two radically different topics in this segment and we kind of did 
um, we were talking about social justice warriors, and then we talked about a couple of Christian leaders. And the reason behind that is we want to uh, be careful that everything is evaluated against Scripture, mm-hmm. not just not just the radical left. We don't want to just we don't want to just judge them. We want to judge ourselves primarily, mm-hmm. and then we want to judge the words of those around us against Scripture, right. and make sure that our own lives and uh, the lives of those we associate with and the lives of the people respect we respect um, line up with Scripture mm-hmm. to the best of our ability. Right. And and it's important, I think, to note where wokedom is creeping into the church mm-hmm. because we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. And Amen. and so that's why that's why we went after these these few quotes. Is um, in, in my mind, we're we're seeing wokedom creep into the church all mm-hmm. over the place. And we could have gone after some easier targets than right. Timothy Keller and John Piper for sure. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Um, but we wanted to go for for a couple um, quotes that aren't aren't necess- are a little bit more veiled. Okay. Um, aren't as as easy to see the wokedom because I think it's important for. Um, everyone and and for our listeners, I think it's it would be great for you guys to keep in mind that wokedom is everywhere, mm-hmm. even when it doesn't seem like it. We we just have to always be on guard for um, the religion of the left, which right. is which is slavery to sin. Yeah, and that's that's ultimately what we want to avoid. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's move on to toilet talk. All um, right, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, at the part that everyone waits for you know i mean <laughs> everything else is just secondary compared yeah. to this we were just here for toilet talk <laughs> also kip sounded so tired in that like, <laughs> he, I, I felt bad like kip needed a bit of a breather after that uh passage that he read about lot because that was that was a mouthful and also it's kind of a gritty passage it's not an easy one to just read out loud and you're imagining it. it's like wow that is, that sucks yeah. um but Anyway, we're almost there, buddy. We're almost there. <laughs> so our toilet talk tip for this this episode is Wipe. take responsibility. <laughs> I hope Sorry. Mike didn't pick that up. <laughs> um, and, and Jocko Willink, if any of y'all have heard of him, has really good insight on this, particularly in his book, Extreme Ownership. Um, I want to read a quick quote from the book. Um, he says, Uh, Quote, on any team, in any organization, all responsibility for success and failure rests with the leader. The leader must own everything in his or her world. There is no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them, and develop a plan to win. Unquote. So for this toilet talk tip, it might seem like there's a cop-out for some people. Maybe you're not in charge of anyone or anything in the workplace. Or or maybe you're... um, an unmarried man and you don't have responsibility for anyone. Um, and my, my advice then would be then start with yourself, Mm -hmm. take responsibility for yourself and the things that you do and for your own actions and for your job. Even if you have a boss who can take the blame for you, right? Take, take responsibility in any situation Mm -hmm. that you're in. Never, never accept a cop out. And maybe if you effectively do that consistently, you'll eventually find yourself actually responsible for something. Mm -hmm. And that might sound a little harsh, but it's really important for young men particularly to understand this and to never, ever think that there's an excuse to not take responsibility. Mm. Isaac, what do you think are some practical ways to take responsibility in your everyday life? Well, that's uh, also just, that's just a great quote. I think, 
people should print that off on a small piece of paper and put it in their mirror, right? I mean, it's it would it's toilet talk, right? This should be it, put this quote on your bathroom uh, mirror, and really, it it starts with just taking responsibilities of um, yourself because I mean, this is stuff that Kip just laid out and he laid it out really well, but um, really, when it comes down to it, you are your own worst enemy. I, I know just from personal experience, from observing other young men um, who I know are brilliant, who are hard workers most of the time. Mm-hmm. But then there are things holding them back that if they just cleaned up, whether it's just being on time, uh, holding your word, right? Mm-hmm. Saying if you pr- make a promise, then you better follow through, yeah. right? Because too many, too many people are willing to... Um, go halvesies on things mm-hmm. like say, hey, you know, I'll be there maybe. But right. it, people may stop inviting you places because they never know for sure if you're going to show up. And yeah. that's something easy you can clean up real fast. It's like yeah. if Kip invites me out to beer and I say, hey, you know what, I'm, I might come. But it's just the two of us. Right. Why would he have incentive? Why would you have incentive to invite me again? Right. right? Um, and, and then, you know, just taking – the very simple activities of, you know, either going for a run, reading the Bible, do all of that and do it well. And I mean, there are scripture on scripture that we can cite of men taking responsibility with little, and then there will be more responsibility coming down the road and more joy and more benefits that are reaped with that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that just simple practical tips, it's like get up, brush your teeth in the morning, Go for a walk. Get outside. Don't just stare at your computer mm-hmm. um, and be lazy because that's when sin can creep in. Right? right. Exactly. Amen to all of that. So we went a little over time. Mm-hmm. I apologize, everyone. But uh, with that, that's that's everything for this week. That is. For, for the cut and the dry on the Life Given Radio, this is Kip and Isaac signing off.